welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, and I'm hanging out with Chris McFall. Good day. How are you? Not too bad. What's going on, man? It's about 60 degrees out. It's beautiful. My dog didn't want to come in. I was almost late. Yeah. I went to my little cousin's uh, birthday party and ate outside on the patio. Yeah. And it was nice. I I got hyacinths that come up early in the spring. They started coming up in January and got all singed from the cold. Yeah. Now they can come up. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. So, um, Chris, you have been a missionary. I have been, yes. You have written how many books? Oh, I think eight. Okay. Now, you could say, I I like to say I'm an author, but I'm an unsuccessful author. Because if you ask me how many have been sold. (laughs) That's okay. I've sold less copies than I've written. Well, hopefully one day when we totally hit it big here at Salty Saints Podcast. Oh, there you go. Yeah, one day. This will be the plug you need. <laughs> and simultaneously, in the hopefully somewhere we get the plug we need too. <laughs> <laughs> there so, you go. Yeah, you know, through the line of succession, we'll figure it out. Well, that sounds good. Um, but I talked to you about coming on here mm-hmm. um, because we always have interesting conversations in our spare time. That's true. Um, and you brought up the topic of whether or not people – who haven't heard the gospel are saved. Well, I don't want to say saved, are in need of saving. Yeah, are, are, are truly lost. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't mind, the, the premise for the entire way of thinking, I never gave it a thought, but here I was sitting in Ireland, in Dublin as a missionary. I had already been in the Philippines for nine months doing some training. But my best friend, John, wrote to me, and uh, an email, he had been on a men's retreat and got uh, got challenged by a guy. Uh, and that guy's point of view was, people are only accountable for their sin when they hear the gospel. That mm-hmm. those who have never heard it somehow get a pass. Huh. Um, and I, here am I in mission work, you know, and he... Uh, really made me think, and I dug deep in. I wanted to find an answer, and I uh, part of it was personal because I'm doing mission work. So you need that kind of answer. So I need to know is is this work I'm doing the right thing to do? Right. So uh, I want to. I think there's a danger here that we could get off on the wrong rabbit trail. Um, there are people, one uh, fellow uh, who's from Indianapolis, a uh, former Methodist pastor, who thinks that everybody gets into heaven. Oh, so he's not a Christian. Uh, he was. He was a Methodist pastor. You've heard of Philip Gulley and Jim Mulholland? No. They wrote a book. Um, I know Mulholland. I know that name. Yeah, Jim Mulholland. In fact, I worked on Emmaus Walks with Jim. I'm a, I consider him a friend. Um, but he wrote a book called If Grace is True, Why God Will Save Every Person. So uh, he, I don't think he's a Christian now. His latest, I, Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you can't really put those two things together and make them work. Yeah, his latest book, which just came out, is called Leaving Your Religion. Oh. Ooh, so it didn't go well for Jim. What? What? Jim Mulholland? 
Mulholland, and I don't want to make this about Jim. No, or Philip. Philip Goley is the other one, but and I've I've met him too. The but. reason I ask is I feel like I had to read some of his books. Oh yeah, yeah. The other one is called "If uh, If God Is Love: Rediscovering Grace in an Ungracious World." But I'm not plugging the books. I'm just saying that Jim was on this walk, confronted my friend John. They had a deep discussion, very peaceable discussion. Mm -hmm. John had questions, came to me. Jim's view would be everybody gets into heaven because God is just so loving that he's not going to condemn anybody. Now, I don't really want to go there because that's so far out of out of the box that I'm not sure we want to even discuss that. Could, could we make the claim that if we get to heaven and that is the case, we're not going to tell God that he was wrong for going that route? <laughs> but until then, yeah, we're uh, just going to go ahead and take him at his word on everything and, and he actually said? Yeah, and just say to Jesus, hey, it wasn't necessary right. what you did for right. Um But John's specific question was those who haven't heard the gospel get a pass. And once you tell them, if they then reject it, then they're condemned. Right. So it's a it's a different angle on the everybody gets a pass thing. Yeah. And I wrote back to him and I said, I, I can think of five ways that goes pear-shaped pretty quick. Um, but I, I wrote to him and it... It challenged our friendship. He was very put off by the strong words. I his email is never a good way to make a no. theological argument. Yeah, <laughs> and you uh, you get a little passionate at times as well. So I'm sure if you pair I, those two things together, <laughs> I do. And and like I said, I think I I may have been a little ungracious because here I am not only defending the gospel that I'm working full time for, but I'm defending the profession. That God has sure. called me to. Yeah, so it's almost like a personal attack. I took it personal, yeah. but John is still my best friend, mm -hmm. uh, has been for 30 years. So um, so it, it, he, I think he's there now. He's a pastor here on the south side. So. Okay, mm -hmm. very interesting. So that that's the question. Um so at, at, at best at best the question. I think the reword the root the root part of the question is are people who have never had the opportunity to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ accountable for their sins and condemned to suffer eternal separation from God um so there's again two groups all get into heaven I don't want to go there because I think that's a different question the second one is only those who haven't heard the gospel get a pass and if they've heard it and then reject it those are the ones who burn in everlasting perdition. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, I totally get it. And honestly, in the back of my mind, that that doesn't – it's not a crazy conclusion to come to. No, I, I, I think it's an honest – and knowing my friend John, he's very much like you. He's a very cerebral kind of chew on everything and come out with the truth. And he was generally – uh, taken aback by the challenge from Jim, and he wanted answers and couldn't come up with them sure. on his own, so he challenged me. Now, I gave him both barrels, but he's, he's my best friend, so right. I can do that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that's really difficult, though, about that question is, like, it seems like the really nice way to think about it. It seems like the way, like, 
it just seems like I don't want anybody to go to hell. Yeah. And so yeah. I I would hope that people, if they hadn't had the chance to come to know God, that they would be saved. Um, but there's just so much wrong with that. Like you said, I'm curious to hear your five reasons because I don't want to <clears throat> jump. Yeah, to any uh, it's actually four because like okay. three and four are three A and three B. Okay. But, um, I'm curious. Hey, Randy asked the question in the last uh, podcast, and I thought it was a good question. Why are you interested? Why did you, of, of all the topics I gave you, why did you say I want to go this route? This one seems applicational. Uh, this, oh, one, okay. this one seems like the kind of question that um, people would would think about today. Like, yeah. Like I would say there's a lot of people that really do believe that today. Yeah, yeah. And, and I – I empathize with those who think – who feel for the lost. And, you know, I, again, like I said, I know Jim Mulholland. I worked with him on Emmaus Walks uh, back in the 90s. And uh, you cannot fault the man. He loves every person he meets. It, it's just that he cannot – he he gives everybody grace, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But – he sees them trying their hardest. He was working in an inner city church in the worst circumstances where I wouldn't survive a day. So I got to give him that. Okay. Um, and he was saying, there's no way this person's doing the best they can. World is just coming down on them. Racism and drugs and abuse and, you know, women who can't even go home at night. And he said, there's no way that, uh, God could condemn this person because I can't. And I get that. I get that compassion. Um, but then again, uh, Jesus had to come for a reason. And, you know, this is a random, a random thought. Um, but we, um, we generally get offended when something is directed at us, right? Yeah. Like like yeah. if you sin against me, mm-hmm. I'm going to feel it more than the person that didn't have it done to them. That's right. That's right. And so we can look at a person that doesn't believe in God and say, well, God should have sympathy on them because they're doing their best. But they're not sinning against us. They're sinning Uh-oh. against the, a, a perfect God. Yeah. Good point. Good and point. I, I've never thought of it like that until just now. But I, I – Yeah. And – and you know, one of the things that Jesus modeled for us was that I'm not holding it against anybody. Take, for example, when he rose from the tomb, did he go to the Pharisees and break the doors open, mm. walk in and go, I'm alive. You were wrong. No, he went to the people that believed in him to comfort them rather than get that that I told you so mm-hmm. under his belt. That's not his way. Well, he doesn't need it. No, he doesn't need to be verified. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't need to validate his emotions. or, or That's a human thing where right. we need to say, I told you so. Um, and that, that surprised me when I realized Jesus never went back to the people that condemned him and said, you were wrong. Mm-hmm. He just went to the people that loved him and said, you were right. Right. Um, and so... But he's the one that was offended, see? Back to your point. Mm-hmm. He's the one that was offended, and he had every right to go back there and say, you did this to me. Um, But he didn't. He didn't. That's grace. That's grace. 
um, to just dust it off, let it go. Mm-hmm. And the, the city where Peter said, you want me to call down fire and brimstone? Mm-hmm. They just, they wouldn't let us stay there. You want me to call, call down fire and brimstone, destroy the city? Jesus goes, no, 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 let it go. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, so, um, back to, back to our topic, um, you want me to jump into the five or at least one of the reasons why I think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first, um, if those that are ignorant of Jesus are not lost, and I think of the Aka Indians, the famous story, uh, movie Into the Spear, Nate Saint and um, uh, Elliot, um, what was his name? Jim Elliot. And Nate Saint flew around, you know, and the Aka Indians dropping the gifts down, and then they finally landed on a sandbar. The Indians come out and kill them all, five uh-huh. guys, who were just trying to bring the gospel to them. So those Akas had never heard of, uh, never heard the gospel, never seen a white man. Right. If they are not lost, then God's not loving at all, and and the reason is. He's unfair and arbitrary who can condemn one group of sinners, those who have heard the gospel, while pardoning another for their ignorance of him. Uh, So ignorance of God then becomes an excuse. And um, sin no longer becomes the root cause of condemnation, our, our sin nature or the things that we do, but rather our unfortunate or accidental knowledge of God. Oh, I heard, I heard about Jesus. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go to hell now. I don't think it works that way. And it, it makes it almost unfortunate for somebody to hear the gospel. Yeah, that it's, uh, you're kind of inviting death on them by sharing the gospel. Exactly. Especially if you know it's a hard to reach culture where they sure. won't accept it. Like, you know, if I were to walk into Pakistan into a village where the gospel's never come and they're all devout Muslim. That doesn't mean they're terrorists or anything, but they're just devout Muslim. If I go in there and I preach Jesus, it'll be hard for them to accept him. So because- with that said, it would be safer to just not. If this is true, if, right. if, their, if their position is true, it would be better for me not to ever mention Jesus to them or have them hold their ears, you know, and go, ah, and not, not listen, yeah. because then all of a sudden they're accountable. And I don't see anywhere in Scripture where somebody's accountable because they've heard. Right. I see where they may be held to a uh, more... Lo- Less of an excuse, if you will. Sure. But it's not like there's never any indication that those who haven't heard are have a good excuse. Right. Um, oh, 100%. No, 100%. That makes sense. Um, and talking to you uh, at the Super Bowl party the other night, uh-huh. you kind of gave me like – I was like, so what What do you want to cover in this? <laughs> and, and you kind of gave me a little teaser Mm-hmm. And you brought up the point you just made and you said, if that's the case, then Jesus giving the Great Commission is the single most evil act committed by any human in the history of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that That's point number three here. Uh, he would have been the cruelest man ever in the world for uh, commanding Christians to take this message of condemnation to the ends of the earth. For Had he not done so, 
billions uh, would not have been condemned at all. Right. Jesus' motive of dying out of love for lost sinners would be lost in the cruelty of his command, go and make disciples. You know, it's it just his life and what he stood for and what he gave his life for would would pale in comparison to this go and make people uh, take away their only excuse, their only pass for heaven. Which, I mean, if that were the case, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if we were to say, yeah, we shouldn't, that's evil, then why should we trust anything Jesus said? I, I think that naturally follows. I'm right with you there. That if Jesus were to say, go make disciples or go preach the gospel to the lost, you know, the fields are ripe, go. What are they ripe with if they're not, if they're not lost already? Right. Um, but, but if he said, go, go to the ends of the earth and, and tell them about me, and that brought with it condemnation for those who rejected his message, then you're right. I have reason to doubt everything about Jesus's character if that brought condemnation with it. Right, because, I mean, if he's capable of evil... If we're calling that evil, and he's capable of that evil, then yeah. Well, sorry, like I'm talking from this. From I, I, this I point understand. Of view. Yeah, it's kind of hard because you got to jump uh-huh. back and forth between perspectives here. Mm-hmm. But from that perspective, to to say that it is evil to invite that kind of of condemnation on somebody if they're innocent, just living in their ignorance. Ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, then that means that God is capable of evil. Right. Right. Which is also against. The fundamental nature of God, or, or, or it's it's a bit like uh, they have this excuse, right? Their ignorance of the gospel, and they're standing on it, and mm-hmm. God comes up and grabs the corner of that carpet and goes zip and pulls it out from under them, and they fall flat on their face. Ha ha! You don't have an excuse anymore. That's cruelty, right? Um, and then again, you're right. It would follow that everything else Jesus said, I would have to test the motive. This kind There's of, a lot at stake here. <laughs> yeah. Um, this all kind of is like – I hadn't thought about this until now, but it all kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about today with First John, like living in light and living in darkness. Mm-hmm. If living in darkness is safe and good, then why yeah. are there entire books like First John written about living in light and not in darkness? Yeah. Dur- like, during your message, which I appreciated, and I love First John, I, uh, I copied two uh, pieces of scripture and highlighted them. First uh, John 2.2, 2, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. There's that global message that everybody needs to hear, hear the entire world. Not just, it never says for those who uh, have heard and rejected it, go and try to convince them. Right. You might get some Calvinist pushback there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's another That's another podcast, probably a five-part podcast. There. Hey, I love my Calvinist brothers and sisters. Yeah, I, do I just don't agree with all of it. But I, I don't agree with all of anybody. So yeah. Maybe they were chosen to be Calvinist. And, hey, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I had free will thing. to be a, be a um, Arminian. I'm good with it. There you I'm go. Good There's big it. churchy words for you. Sorry. Yeah. Hey, no. Oh, that would be fun. We could do like churchy words on denominations. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just thinking out loud here. That would be fun. Um, I already did. Uh, we've already done two of these bullets, but number number three here, which or four, which I call 3B, mm-hmm. follows directly on the heels of the one we just said. So if those ignorant of Christ aren't lost, or yeah, aren't lost, 
than every missionary who ever lived and shared Jesus's, uh, shares Jesus's guilt for bringing condemnation to those who have never heard. By association with Jesus and spreading that message, they too are guilty and cruel for bringing that gospel message that condemns. Um, and this would apply also to all su- people who support missionaries with prayer, financial support, as well as members of churches that support missionaries. In general, the whole of evangelical Christendom becomes one huge cruel condemnation machine for pushing this gospel message out that brings with it condemnation to those who've never who have never heard and don't accept. And I can't accept that. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> like you're getting my wheels turning here because this this starts to snowball pretty pretty big pretty oh, fast. Oh, it can. Because if this is, okay, so so assuming that this is true, then the only Good people are either well, well. Really, the only good people are non-Christians because it's evil then to tell people about Jesus because then you are condemning them to hell mm-hmm. by them knowing. And we're commanded as Christians to tell everybody about Jesus. And then, so the the most evil thing you could be is a Christian. So this would negate the whole reason for why you'd even be having this conversation because why would you even <laughs> want to be a Christian if the whole point of being a Christian is to condemn evil on people? Like you, this whole thing makes no sense. Right. <laughs> you, you, yeah, when you try to stand it up, there's there's no legs there. Um, the, you'd actually just made the fifth point. If those ignorant of Christ aren't lost, then as obedient servants of Christ um, – we have no urgency in taking the gospel, right? Because by bringing it, we bring condemnation to those who don't accept the message. Okay. It follows, yeah. right? In fact, the Great Commission becomes a farce, and the body of Christ then must search for an alternate to the Great Commission. What, what's, our, what's our true north? What is it that we're all about? Perhaps one that says, hide within the church and let's be nice to each other, but don't you dare share Christ with anyone outside the church. That's what it becomes. The new age. That it, it becomes weak, insipid Christianity. And, you know, as soon as I say those words, I think that's exactly what Satan wants us to be. Well, it's exactly what the church looks like in some places right now. Amen. Amen. And it's sad. Yeah, it is. So what's our guiding north star? What? Just be nice to each other. Oh, don't don't tell your neighbor about Jesus. They may reject him, and then by by uh, rejecting him, then they heap condemnation on themselves. So you you start to do those logical unfolding of of the premise that the people are setting up for mm-hmm. this this point of view, and you just see everywhere they go, it hits dead ends like a brick wall. Um, I actually had one more point, um, but I like the one about, you know, Jesus being cruel to me. I just can't accept that. But also the church would be complicit by association with that cruelty. Well, I mean, Jesus is the foundation upon all this. Yeah. So, I mean, if you get rid of him, (laughs) you say he's not even trustworthy. Why did he die? And and it goes back to God and his motives. If those ignorant of Christ aren't lost, then God's mercy and grace are lost in the confusion. It, it simply becomes who has an adequate excuse. Well, okay. That that's what that's what salvation becomes. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It's who has an adequate excuse on judgment day. I didn't hear. I, I get a pass. Right. I mean, but here's the funny thing about all this to me. 
the Bible talks about this. Romans one twenty says, yeah. "For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Without excuse, yeah. There, you can't get around it. It's plainly mm-hmm. laid out. They, they are all guilty. We are all guilty because we have all acknowledged the truth of God in one way or another." Yeah, I I go out at night and take the dog out, you know. Um, she's old enough. She's deaf. Our dog is fun. Uh, but I take her out, and I stand there while she does her business, and I look up, and there's a constellation out this time of year called Orion. Orion, sorry. Mm-hmm. And the, the top left star in Orion is Betelgeuse. From, from the, that's where the movie got yeah, its yeah. name, right? And Betelgeuse is this giant, super, super giant red star. It's red because it's running out of fuel. It's dying. And my astronomy professor at Indiana University told me that it's, I think he said it's 200 light years away. And he said it could have blown up about the time that America became a nation, and we won't see it until tomorrow. And that that was cool. And I raised my hand and I said, it's, it's a big star. He said if it was placed where our sun is, it would come out to the orbit of Earth. It's that gigantic. Wow. And he said when it goes, when it supernovas in a millisecond, it will be as bright as the full moon for about a month. And I prayed right there. I was in college. I said, Lord, let me live long enough to see Betelgeuse explode. That would be so (laughs) cool. That would be so. I go out every night and I look up and I see Betelgeuse up there and I see the stars. And this morning, Kira goes out before dawn and there's Venus, which is called the morning star. Mm -hmm. And I just go, wow, God's fingerprints are all over this. Going back to your, the, the Romans passage there. I just don't know how, and Lynn Winorowski, my friend who's a scientist at Lilly, gets down in the molecules into proteins and how they fold, and he gets, you ought to talk to him sometime. Mm-hmm. He just gets so excited. He says, it, it doesn't make sense. It's just, it's divine well, the way these proteins fold and yeah. then do their work inside the body like little messengers. And I've always been told when you get down to like that level of like microbiology, mm-hmm. you start looking at things. And they, they say it's, it almost looks like some of these, you know, single cell, you know, organisms like floating around our body. Like they look like they're created by an MIT student. Like it's like, oh, yeah, it's got a little rotor on it. You know, like they're like yeah. little machines almost. But then you look at something as simple as a virus that doesn't even have a nucleus. It's just a DNA wrapped around a protein. Mm. That's all it is. It can't reproduce on its own. It just sits. It has no locomotion. And yet it touches a cell, and when it when the cell says, oh, I know that, I'll let it in, because they, they make a fake key, if mm-hmm. you will, on the outside, the cell lets it in, the virus melts, and the DNA comes out, and repli- takes over the cell, and makes more virus. That is, that is crazy. Yeah. That something without a nucleus and no locomotion is wiping out a million people in the world. That that's just not coincidence. Well, I, I mean, beyond that, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of uh, different apologetics uh, yeah. online, and one of my favorite ones is uh, I often hear Jeff Durbin from Apologia. He'll he'll say to to an atheist or you know whoever he's talking to, he'll be like, you know, like how do you know tomorrow you're going to wake up and and gravity is still going to exist? Yeah. <laughs> 
You know, how do you, how do you know yeah. that? Mm-hmm. It's like you're taking that on faith. Why do you take that on faith? Why do you assume that today is going to be like today or, or, or tomorrow is going to be like today? Like induction is proof of God. Right, right. Like and, that he is holding everything together. And they wave their hand and they say, because science proves it will be there tomorrow. And you go, yeah, yeah, right. Um, I, again, going back to my astronomy class, it really strengthened my faith. My my professor was a believer and um, he was presenting all of the genie, uh, uh, excuse me, the, um, what's the beginning of the, uh, what do they call that? Um, cosmology. Oh, cosmology. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. No, cosmo- not cosmetology. Cosmo- no, yeah, not cosmetology. <laughs> That's hair. He was presenting all the different views and he opened up the Bible. We didn't know he, that was it, but he opened up the Bible and he goes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he closed it and he put it aside after reading three or four other versions that sounded nuts. You know, and he put it aside, the Bible aside, and he goes, that's my favorite. And he just kept going. No pause or anything. Made his statement and went on. And on the way home, I'm talking to my buddy because it's a long walk from Swain Hall. This is what happens when you don't turn off your phone before these things, folks. Um, Sorry about that. Walking home from Swain Hall back to Foster Quad, it's about a 20-minute walk. And my buddy and I are talking about that. And he says, you know. The Bible version is the only one that explains where all the stuff came from. All the other versions of cosmology, everyone he read assumes that the material has always been here in one form or another. Right. So either the stuff is eternal or God is eternal. You can't get around one or the other. But it's just so funny because like the argument always comes down to, well, nothing's eternal. It's like something has to be exactly something's been here forever. Right. But I'm saying you hear that argument so yeah. often and it's yeah. like, well, wait, no, no, no. Something has to be right. Yeah, like, but, it, but it, you back up the Big Bang theory. You start with a primordial ball that blew up and then a Big Bang. Right. But that primordial ball, every atom that's here today was in that primordial ball. It's eternal. The matter, then, is eternal. It's not the beginning. It's just the beginning of the current state. Right. How long has it been here? Well, it, it, they don't believe in a creation, so it has existed for eternity. They don't go back that far. They right. get it back as far as their conscience will allow them to accept right, it. Right, right. <laughs> but I go back far enough. I've got a God who's eternal and has always existed, and he said yes, and there's all this stuff. I'm glad this came down to some level of apologetics. That's <laughs> because that's what we strive for here in some level or another. I like that. Um, so I think we've, yeah, we've covered all those. But I don't want to get too far off from, from this message. Uh, I think we've done a good job, or at least I've done the best I can do, uh, of five reasons why the are those who have heard the gospel and reject it, the only ones who, who uh, God condemns. In other words, do the, do the ignorant get a pass? Right. So Nate Saint and Jim Elliott went in to, see, to witness to these Aka Indians who have never seen a white man. In the jungles of Amazon, they were living like primitives, mm-hmm. right? Spears, the, the average age of an Aka Indian, male, was 35 years old, the tribe was so violent that 
the average age, they would be killed in tribal wars by the age 35 because that's when they get to be the point where they're powerful, right? right? And then somebody else wants to take them out and take over. Not a bunch of peace-loving people. This isn't, you know, utopia and white man came in and ruined it. They were right. killing each other. And these five guys gave their lives to bring the gospel to them. And I'm. it boils down to, did the Indians need to hear the gospel? Did they need to? Or were, did they get a pass because they were ignorant? And did Nate, St. Jim, Elliot give their lives? And did Jesus give his life? To bring that gospel to them, was that a cruel thing to do? I'm not willing to go there. Or or, or just a stupid one, even. Yeah, yeah, stupid. Um, no, but they, they, you make movies about guys like that. Mm. And we did. It's called Into the Spear. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend mm. it. It'll make you cry. Uh, because the wives of those guys who died went back to those Indians and brought the gospel hmm. and said, you killed our husbands, but we love you. And Jesus loves you. And um, those there's a Christian community among the Aka Indians to this, uh, to this day because... Uh, those guys started the work. They were killed, martyred uh, to get it started, and then their families kept it going. Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song uh, about it. And, That's really wild. And at the end of that song, the guy who killed Jim Elliott, the leader of that tribe, does a chant. Now, it's a, it's a very primitive chant, um, but... As he's singing in his tribal language, his native language, he's praising Jesus. And that's recorded and added to the You've end. played that for me. I've heard that. It It's powerful, yeah. To think, and I, I'm a World War II buff, and I think about all the guys World War II took Americans and sent them all over to the jungles of Borneo and Philippines and these islands, Guadalcanal, and the natives they met had never seen white men, had never heard the gospel. And many of them came back after the war and said, I'm going back now, not as a soldier, but as a missionary. Hmm. And that part of the world, that rim of the Pacific, where it was so untouched, um, became uh, evangelized uh, pretty powerfully. Very cool. Yeah, it, it is cool to think about it. I'm, I think of, you know, for me, my true north... Uh, you mentioned the Romans 120, which I believe says, and these are uh, Paul's words, people are without excuse mm -hmm. because God's creation just shouts mm -hmm. that he, he is. Um, but then two things. Second Peter 3, 9, um, God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. He's patient with them, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance and to me, repentance must come through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And to repent means to turn away from one way of life into yeah. a new way of life. And then Christ demonstrates his love for, for them, for the lost, in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, yeah. you know, God doesn't take pleasure in these people that don't have an excuse. Um, in fact, he... He wants to, I have this old saying that I've come up with, not an old saying, it's actually mine, is that um, 
the Christian life is a is a life of contribution, not not accumulation. The non-Christian life is a life of accumulation. So we are called to spend our lives for Jesus. Jesus spent his life for us. I'm called sure. to spend my life for Jesus. Very well, simple. Well, that's the he who tries to hold on to his life yes. will lose it. It's a variation of it, right? Yeah. But like, you know, I think of Mother Teresa. What did she accumulate on this earth? Nothing. She died without any assets, maybe a tunic or two. But what did she contribute? What did Jesus accumulate on earth? At the end of his life, he had a robe and a, and a tunic that they rolled dice for. That's all he had. But what did he contribute? You see the comparison there. Mm-hmm. And somebody who spends their life, that at the end of their life, you look back and you say, wow, what did they contribute versus what did they accumulate? There's a Christian for you. Um, Paul is, for me, one of those, I'm spending myself for others. You know, he got stoned. The Bible says he died. He got dragged out of the city. God raises him from the dead. What's the next thing he does? He goes back, back on. It. He goes back in the city that just stoned him. That's spending yourself. <laughs> he went back into Derby. It says he went right back. Hmm. Probably like Jesus, not to say I told you so, but to comfort the believers who the job wasn't he, done. Job wasn't done to say, look, God's still working this. Yeah. And then left rather than go, I told you so. It's it's not about vengeance, but he went back in to encourage the believers who were like, oh gosh, what do we do now? Paul's dead. Um, but Paul's the one who Jesus said to him in Acts, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Your message this morning was about darkness. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And you just said this morning, those who are living in darkness don't know what light is mm-hmm. because they're in darkness. There's no light to, as to be a comparison. Yeah. They, and I, I've kind of always wondered, too. Um, most cultures have some form of God. Yes, I agree. But so often their gods look like they do. Mm-hmm. Isn't that telling? <laughs> Someone that's never actually been exposed to the light, been exposed to the truth, mm-hmm. would would even try to rationalize what a god looks like by modeling it after their own self. Have you ever read A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy? No. It, it's, it's a to-do for you, I'm sure. Um, what he does is he has chapters and each chapter is an attribute of God. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God Mm -hmm. is eternal. God is triune and on and on. Fascinating book. And it's not for the intellectually, uh, slow it's, it's deep stuff. But at the beginning of the book, he says, if you look at the gods of other cultures, what they do is they take pieces of things that are in this world And they put it together and they go, oh, look, here's our God. It might be a bull with a human head. It Mm -hmm. might be a horse with a ram's head, whatever. But it's an an accumulation of things that are here that we can wrap our head around. I just read through the Bible, Exodus, and Aaron says, I threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. Yeah, right. Earlier it says Mm -hmm. he fashioned it with a hammer. (laughs) He wouldn't even live up to it. But it's a golden calf, and that's their God. It's something they could identify with. Mm -hmm. And then Tozer makes the example in the book. I think this is 
fascinating is he says, um, there's nothing about Jehovah God that is familiar to us. Every time somebody sees him, they, they're at a loss for words. They're numb. They're, they're abashed. They're, uh, even he points out that even, um, I get Ezekiel and Elijah mixed up. I think it's Ezekiel who says he was like the likeness or the appearance of a man, but not quite. And yeah, he yeah, all yeah. sat on something like a throne, but it wasn't really a throne. And he had no human words, no pieces of animals or, or you know, things to put together and come up and say, he looks like this. He couldn't even put it in words. God is so inconceivable to the human mind, so other. I love that yeah. phrase. I heard that from well, that's uh, holy. Holy means other, yeah. yeah. He's so outside of what we are um, that these other cultures, I think, are trying. You mentioned that their gods look like them. They're trying to come up with something that's comfortable. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's a cow, but at least you know what a cow well, is. That's even uh, Abraham. Um, I, I don't even remember where I read this, but he... He refers, I believe it's in Hebrew, he uses the word El to refer to God Mm -hmm. when he first meets him. And El would have been, I think it was like the highest of the Canaanite deities. Ah. And so it's like he's trying to use what knowledge he has to even comprehend who he's speaking with. Yeah. And well, it's sort of a similar idea, you know. It's like he's working with a limited toolbox right, to try and explain right, this, right, this, right. this other being, you know. Yeah. It, I, I love, again, going back because I'm reading through Exodus now. Um, I love it when Moses says, I, I got to go back to these people and tell them I've met you. And I can't say he's like a bush. Okay, I got to give him something more than that. If they're going to ask me what's his name, what's your name? And... You know, there's jokes in movies like in the movie Splash where uh, Tom Hanks and uh, has the girlfriend who's a mermaid and he says, what's your name in mermaid language? And she goes, Ee-ee! and it sounds like a dolphin and glass breaks. Uh-huh. There's some comedy around that, right? But God is like, well, I can't, there's no human language that can explain what or who I am. So just tell them I am sent you. That's yeah. simple and and Oswald Chambers says, God doesn't owe you an explanation for anything that he does. The only explanation he owes you is who he is. It's like... That, 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 that's fascinating. It's like he is his own namesake. Like, yeah. And, like the and only the, way you can explain me is by recognizing who I am. And when he does something that you can't understand, like, like this message we're talking about, maybe Jim Mulholland just can't get his eyes around the incredible suffering he ministered in. And couldn't get his his mind around the fact that these people, if they reject the gospel, that God could give them a, an F on the test because they're trying so hard. I get Jim's heart, mm-hmm. right? But God is so other than us. And he doesn't have to explain himself. He couldn't. If he did, we wouldn't understand it. He just says, I am. That's enough. That's sort of where his, his sovereignty comes in. I mean, that's a big yeah, word. There, well, to me, it's trust. It's it. There's an old phrase that says, um, "If God, if I'm going through some suffering, 
it's not that I should say, well, God gave it to me, therefore it must be good. Uh, or, I, can't, I'm, I think I'm butchering this, but the idea should be that, that God is good, therefore whatever I'm going through is good for me. Yeah. So it's not, not looking at what I'm going to get out of it. Right. Because that, that idea that, well, God owes me because I've been through this, there's that idea of life as a process of accumulation. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other idea is, well, we know the premise, the trust is that God is God. He's immutable. He's good. He's gracious. And everything that happens is for his glory and for my good. Therefore, I'm going to be good in the middle of this. Like when I was unemployed for five months and almost lost the house, I kept mm-hmm. tithing because I said, God, I don't understand it. If you explained it to me, I still wouldn't understand it. Right. Um, but you're God. I'm Chris. I'm going to. I mean, I have a name I can share with you, and you know who I am. Right. But right. God, <laughs> I am. I'm. I would never be that full of myself that I could, you know, just tell people you don't. I. I can't explain to you who I am. Right. So, so something that's always been interesting to me, and sorry, we got to go off the rails a little bit here for this, for this example. We haven't already? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, I mean, this is the good stuff. It kind of sparks conversation, you know. But, like, we try and understand God's ways to the best of our ability. Right. And, like, have you ever read about string theory? I've heard about it on Big Bang. Sure. So yeah. th- there's, there's multiple dimensions is the uh-huh. idea of string theory, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, what does it say? And, and so basically you've got, you know, you've got like the first dimension, which is a single dot on a piece of paper. Like right. You can look right. At that. That's a single dot. That's one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Right. Two dimensional would be if I drew two dots and then I connected a them line, with a line. A line. 3D is what we operate in. Yeah. Right. And so we're three dimensional. And right. so we can understand three dimensional things, two dimensional things, and one dimensional things. We know that there's a fourth dimension. But we can't express it right. because it's outside of our operation. Like right. we can't – it's like trying to run Windows on Mac. Like it's just not going to work, <laughs> you know? Like it's they, it's two different things. Uh-huh. And so that's a poor example because you can do that. But, <laughs> but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, I The idea though is that we're talking not about a, a fourth or a fifth or a sixth dimensional. I mean we're talking about an infinitely – complex being that we are trying to wrap our head around Mm -hmm. why he did what he did. We're playing chess and he's playing 10 D chess. Right. Right. You know, and I do, I do empathize, um, putting myself in Jim's shoes. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying he's evil or anything. Not at all. Because the man, the man has a heart for people in their suffering. But the, the, I take the Aka Indians, you know, if I were to go and visit Ecuador in the 1950s, I think that's when Nate Saint and Jim Elliott were uh, martyred. Um, I could be off there, but if I went to that jungles and I saw this violent tribe stabbing each other to try to rise the ladder and become the chief and all of that, and then once you're chief, everybody's out to get you, I would say, wow, these people need Jesus. And my heart would break for them. Now, I naturally would not have a heart for somebody like that. In my pre-Christian state, I probably would have said, 
wow, these people should be slaves or something. You know, that's all they're good for. But I break for people like that. I, I was in the Philippines for nine months in training, but they got us a house out in the suburbs. And next to our house was a, a swamp. Our, our entire neighborhood was built on a swamp. So they do a little bit of landfill to get it above the water level. And then they pour concrete foundations and build the house up. It was actually quite dry where I was, but all around us on two sides were uh, grass reeds. And, and during the rainy season, it was nothing but water. And during the dry season, it was baked dirt. There was a empty lot next to us that was still swamp. And we started to see signs that there was construction coming. And one day I come home and out in the middle of the swamp is a little homemade table, two by fours and a piece of plywood table. And sitting on the table are sandwiches on a plate, just bread sandwiches. And I thought, well, the workers, they're going to start building something in this new, new construction. The sandwiches are going to get flies on them. They're, they're, they're going to get diseases if they leave those sandwiches out. They were out all day. That night, a Filipino friend came over, and I pointed out the window, and I said, look, they, the, the workers left their sandwiches out all day in this blistering tropical sun. They can't eat those. And he goes, it's not for them. I said, what is it for? And he said, Filipinos believe animism, that there's a spirit or spirits who inhabit this piece of property. They live in the grass. They live in the water. They live in the dirt. They live in the air. This is their home. They live here. And in order to not invoke a curse by taking their home and putting a house on it, they offer a food offering hmm. to that god or those gods, plural, sandwiches, <laughs> which I thought he threw a little uh, cocktail party for the <laughs> god, the animus god. But to them, it was deadly serious, <laughs> okay. you know? And uh, Ping was the fellow who was I was ministering to. I was discipling him. It was his nickname. His real name was Joseph. But every Filipino has a nickname, Ping. So Ping says, well, I've, I have a friend who cuts down trees for a living. And every time he cuts a tree down, he leans in close to the tree and he says, now spirit who lives in this tree, I'm doing this because this is my job. Don't curse me. Don't curse my family. There's plenty of trees around here you could go live in. Please forgive me for cutting this tree down because it's my job. Now, I go back to Paul. I'm sending you to them to turn them from darkness to light. And putting sandwiches out in a swamp before you build a house to appease the gods who live there or, or hugging a tree and saying Apology, apologies, forgive me, God, who lives in this tree. That guy lives in darkness. That's darkness. Um, it's fear that the God in that tree is going to curse his family. And I'll guarantee you if the next day his wife came down ill, he would blame it on the God from that tree coming to his house. That's darkness. And if it comes down to the risk of sharing with that guy, 
the news of Jesus so he can have, and I just told you this morning, the word confidence that's mm-hmm. in 1 John, the confidence in coming boldly before the throne and claiming the blood of Jesus and claiming that your prayers are heard or knowing that your prayers are heard, confidence. Um, and having that assurance that I'm saved and I'm right with God versus coming to him and saying, I better not tell him about Jesus. It might condemn him if he doesn't accept it. He's already condemned. He's praying to God's inside a tree. That man is lost. He needs Jesus. And I'll risk it. Uh, you know, I've, I've still missionary. I support missionaries. My daughter is one. My wife is one. I hope to go back to uh, work when, or go on many other trips and but uh, when you think about guys like the Aka Indians and the fellows who left the sandwiches and the fellow praying to the tree, the God in the tree, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some faith that God knows what he's doing and Jesus knew what he was doing and gave his life so that they could live in the light and not that darkness therein. So that, that's what it boils down to for me. I like it, man. I like that. That's solid. Yeah, and... And even people who live in the city, you know, uh, darkness. Uh, a fellow named Don, I worked with him at Furrow Lumber, which is now Joanne Fabrics, <laughs> but it used to be down here. And uh, Don was a little older than me, um, and we were working the service counter where you'd come back there and buy lumber from us. And it was pretty slow that night. He was going on and on about how his life was a complete mess. First of all, his wife had left him and got a divorce. She took his teenage son, whom he adored, and she moved to Colorado simply because she said, you can't get to him if I move to Colorado. Dang. He gets him every, every you know, other weekend, but he can't fly to Colorado every weekend, right? So she just says, oh, darn, you couldn't get here? Tough for you. He, he saw his son once a year on summer when he could get out there. Uh, he had a live-in girlfriend. He's not a Christian. He had a live-in girlfriend who had just left him. He had an efficiency apartment, so just a bed in the corner on the floor of an efficiency apartment. He had a bad heart, and the doctors told him he had about 10 years to live because his heart had this uh, disorder where it was scarring. The muscles were turning into scar tissue, so every day his heart got weaker. Um, I think, and he was working at Furrow to make ends meet, so a second job. And I said to him, right there, my heart breaks for you. I said, uh, we go to a church just up the road here. It sounds like you need Jesus. And he goes, no, no, I don't want Jesus. It was, it was short of, you know, putting his fingers in his ears and going, ah, I don't want to hear it. And I said, why not, Don? Your life is a wreck. Your wife's left you. Your child's estranged. Your girlfriend left you. Your job's a mess. You're in debt. You're dying of this heart disease. Why won't you give Jesus a chance? And he literally took his finger and stabbed me in my, in my uh, what do they call that? Sternum. Sternum, yeah. Stabbed me in my sternum, and he said, because I'd have to change. And I said, yeah, you would, Don. But it sounds like what you've got needs to be given up for change. And he, you know, we didn't. I left Furrow shortly after that, and I saw him 10 years later. He was a house inspector. I invited him to inspect my new house. 10 years later, and I said, Don, 
It's good to see you again. How's your life? Ah, and he went on another list of terrible things. And I said, you know, God's still waiting for you. God still is there saying, come to me. And he goes, yeah, I'd still have to change, wouldn't I? And I said, yeah, Don. I haven't seen him since 2003. He may be dead. I don't know. But, you know, you could say, you could say, um, he, what's his sin, you know? His sin is, I, I don't want anything to do with God. And God says, that's okay by me. If that's the way you want it, I'm going to let you have that. And to me, that's what, it's not so much the things we've done, is I don't want God in my life. Um, Randy, in one of your podcasts, talked about hell being a place where everybody got everything they wanted, the gambler who won every time he played, and it was hell for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Don said, I'd have to change. He was so proud and so in control of his life, mess that it was, that he said, I'd have to change and I'm not ready to do that. Uh, Ten years later, same thing. His heart, he was on a list to get a heart transplant. I hope he did. Um, But if he passes away and till the last dying breath, he says, God, I don't want you. Then God's going to say, fine. I'm sad about that. Chris is sad about that. Others who have met you are sad about that. Jesus is sad about that. But Don, I'm not going to force myself on you. And so, you know, it, it's, not an, it's not an unfeeling thing for God to condemn those who don't want him. To your point. I was just listening to Frank Turek. Don't know the name. Um, Cross-examined. Um, he, he goes around to like college campuses and does apologetics. Mm-hmm. Really cool channel. Um, but a girl said, well, if God is so good and he's all-powerful, what, then why didn't he just make everybody love him? Mm. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, if some guy just <laughs> decided that he loved you and that you should love him too, mm-hmm. And then he starts following you around and he starts telling you how much he loves you and that you have to love him, right? He said, is that love? Is that love that that guy's doing that to you? Yeah. Or would we call that a stalker? Would we call that (laughs) harassment? Or slavery. Right. It's conditional. Right. And she said, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And he said, and God's not going to do that to you either. Yeah. If you don't want the love of somebody, then it's your choice to accept their love or to reject their love. That's on you. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I, you just reminded me that uh, my dad was a very um, assertive man. Um, not a bad person, but he was just uh, very, almost aggressive, you know, and he was just one of those go-getters. Nothing, not much like me. Um, and I asked my mom, I've asked her about mom and dad dating, and um, I first of all I asked dad what why did you start dating mom? And he goes, well, I was this is his answer. He says, well, I was that most handsome boy in school, so I figured I deserved the most beautiful girl in school, and I went after your mom. I rolled my eyes. He probably heard it. I rolled him so bad, um, but that's my dad. And I asked my mom, who's just as uh, unassuming and sweet and quiet as you can imagine. And I said, 
Why did you start dating dad? She said, well, he started pestering me. <laughs> After what I just told you. Right. He started pestering me, and I couldn't stand him. He was so forward and so alien to me because she grew up in very humble. You know, girls didn't go preening themselves and everything. She grew up on a farm. And she says, I couldn't stand him. I said, well, why did you marry him? She said, he won me over. Hmm. He won me over. And they were married for a good long time. He died at 85. I don't see uh, they married when they were 20. So they were married 65 years, somewhere in that range. Um, beautiful. He was, she was the light of his life and vice versa. But she, he won her over. Jesus won me over. Uh, and I want to be like my dad. Jesus, not that I'm the most handsome guy in school, but Jesus is the bee's knees. And I want to go win people over for Jesus and say, because it's not about me winning them. It's about them hearing about Jesus and hearing about him well. Uh -huh. I want to do that well in such a way that it's not colonialism. It's not uh, bash them over the head. You know, you have to use this version of the Bible or be very rigid, but just... It's about a person. Let uh -huh. me introduce you to Jesus. Don, <laughs> if you're out there, Jesus is still waiting for you to turn your life over to him. You may not get your wife back, your you know, great job. You may not get a new heart, but it'll be all right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think everybody is without excuse to wrap up, I don't know, the, the, the at least the topic here. Mm -hmm. Everybody's without excuse because God's fingerprints are everywhere and he doesn't. And I want to drive home, especially reiterate that God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. He, no. he wants everybody to come to Christ right. because it's light. They, it's on their terms. They're putting sandwiches out for the pagan gods that live on that plot. They're talking to trees. That's darkness, and he wants them to have that confidence we have in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Amen, man. Amen. That's what it's all about for me, at least. I like it, dude. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about My this. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll have to do this again with some other random topic. Give me and, and then we'll deviate from that topic. <laughs> and then we'll come back to that topic. Yeah, I, your, 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 talks, uh, your talks tend to go off on hey, the man, the If you don't have a few fun. rabbit holes, oh, yeah. what's, what's the point? Let's see. We, we covered uh, 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 cosmology. We covered uh, – uh, uh, I can't. Cosmetology as well. Yeah, cosmet we, we touched <laughs> on it, yeah. But we got off on some good rabbit holes. There. I like it, man. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Um, if you have any questions for us, please send those to saints at becomehope.com or questions at becomehope.com. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Give us a rating. Whatever you can do. Leave us a comment. Help us out how you can, guys. Uh, let us know what you'd like to hear from us, whatever questions you got. And until next time, stay salty. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.